one. Hello, this is Ninja Mountain Podcast, episode 135. The podcast by artists. You're fired. What? You're fired. 135? What was it? 128. Sorry, I wasn't listening. You're totally like seven episodes in. You were living in the future. Okay, um, well, 128 then. Okay, the artists for podcasts by podcasts. See, you know, it's amazing that you're doing this from memory. Is That's what's amazing <laughs> to me, you know. Um, go ahead, continue, continue. And we are also a part of the um, Waffenstein Collect. <laughs> Yeah, very well done. Very well done. I think everyone. I think we should be applauding that effort, guys. I mean, that was. What is it? We're part of the. Um, uh, um, we're also part of the. Something, that collects podcasts together. See, there you go. Perfect. I, I wouldn't change a thing of that. I wouldn't change a thing of that. <laughs> and joining us on the podcast this week, we have Patrick McAvoy, who's currently rebuilding his computer. At megaflowgraphics.com. Kieran Yanner. I remember that. <laughs> Kieran Yanner. At kieranyanner.com. Ralph Horsley. At ralphhorsley.co.uk. And our steam narrator, Sakarin Miles. At And I am Jeremy McHugh, and I can be found at McHughStudios.com. And we put the call out for some topics of discussion for this week. Um, we've been, I've been very quiet of late trying to get caught up on work post-Gen Con. And I've just been just buried. I'm buried. But I took some. I, we did take some questions. And uh, who is that? Who's got, Patrick is back. We've already introed my friend. We just started. Ah, darn. No, no, well. you didn't miss anything. Oh, you did. You did miss Sokar's uh, golden moment, where she was able to do the intro from memory. Wow. Yep. I don't know whose Nailed memory, it. but it was. I'm not Nailed sure from it. whose memory, but from memory. That's pretty impressive. So when we get a chance, uh, and all the listeners at home can can uh, Visual Art join Podcast in. Network, Visual Art Podcast Network. I remembered. I remembered. Fantastic. Very good. So I, I'm having some serious computer problems. So I hope someone can help me at some point. But we will wait until <laughs> we're not. <laughs> I was theorizing that you were not merely restarting your computer, but rebuilding it. There's something completely wrong here. <laughs> it's achieved sentience. Yeah. Actually, well, I don't, I don't know how hard it would be to pause for a moment, and I could ask the group here, because I know a lot of people use Macs that I'm talking to right now. Oh, man. Uh, I have never, never seen this problem that I'm having. Well, we can we can talk about it after the show because I gotta <laughs> because I, I can't stop. I can't I can't do a lot of editing you this week. Stop. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> My editing. Well, you can edit that part out. No. <laughs> <laughs> let's just let's oh. just leave that hanging in the air for our listeners. That'd be okay. fine. Oh, the mystery, the mystery. Hey, we don't. First question. I've 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 received a few questions via Facebook, and uh, one of them was from George Vega, who asks. Uh, what are some of art? What are some big art no-nos? Like someone randomly tagging you on their art, or when you see someone do some art that is not original and not say after you know where they got the artist, you know the artwork from. Say someone, I guess, like so if you were to do a copy of Frazetta and not say after Frazetta, you know, maybe talk about the implications of or how much it bothers an artist or what has been done to you that may bug you. 
I don't know. I, I kind of felt guilty when I read that question because um, I'm pretty blatant about copying off Harry Clark sometimes. I really like his art, so I just steal. Steal? Oh, yeah. I just, like, totally bite his style all the time. But I figure that he's been dead for ages, so by this time he's probably been dead long enough that I can copy rudely and I'm not interfering with his business. <laughs> so, so you think, okay, so you think uh, uh, once someone's dead, it's it's okay, or is there a little bit of time that has to pass? Or, or like, for instance, can Hoffman start uh, ripping off Rosetta oh, and not worrying about it again? I don't think he ever worried about ripping off Rosetta. Hoffman, uh, Hoffman to this day will say that, no, he never. Now, who's Rosetta? Yeah, who's this Frazetta guy you're talking about? Yeah, well, you know, I think, no, I mean, if you you were actually copying a specific image, you should probably say after so-and-so. And and if you are using somebody's style quite frequently, you should mention it once in a while. I mean, I always, if people ask about my influences, I always say harry clark and gustav dore whom i steal from quite frequently so i mean it's not as if i'm pretending well i've heard of them well let's be fair are you actually copying images whole cloth or are you just borrowing techniques and themes just, just borrowing techniques and themes i don't I've never copied an image whole cloth although i did steal a bit of specific visual vocabulary there were a couple of pictures by Harry Clark, which I really liked, which were his illustrations from the Mask of the Red Death and the Edgar Allan Poe stories. So I, I used um, some random bandages in a few pictures, like mummy wrappings, just because I liked them. That's, I'm, I think, I'm not sure I could call that, uh, I'm not sure that would fall into the category uh, that we're discussing, but I, I, it's good that you're conscientious enough to bring that up, that you feel that maybe it's worth discussing. But I'm not sure that um, being influenced so, uh, even directly by an artist such as the people you've named is necessarily a, um, a no-no. Mm, maybe not. I mean, and I, I usually, if, if I copy something from a living artist, I usually make sure I name them. Like, um, a while ago, a trend started using gold leaf, and I decided to get some gold stuff. So I mentioned the people that gave me the idea. Well, you when might I... as well mention Klimt, though. I mean... That... <laughs> if you're going to talk about gold. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mentioned the people that specifically... <laughs> <laughs> I specifically were using it right now, and I was copying. <laughs> Rather how about, than uh, how about uh, Ralph and Kieran? Any thoughts there? I mean, uh, you know, as long as it's not um, direct plagiarism, I guess. Um, but not that word kind of associates with art. Um, but you know. It, if people are inspired by everything. Um, <laughs> oh, sorry. Oh, I guess Some they're coming to get you. Sure. <laughs> the the plagiarism police are en route. I don't think. Can you actually get arrested for that, or just shamed? 
I think it's a tort, not a. It's not a crime. criminal offense to do that, as far as I know. Yeah. I think you can get sued and fined, but I don't think you can serve any time for it. Copyright tends to police itself, doesn't it? You don't. There's no. There's not like a bureau of copyright police who will who search the internet for copyright infringement and then you know pay a visit to the house with uh, some tired looking detective walking up to your door you know i don't think that's uh that's not what we're seeing it's very much a it's police itself if you're an artist on the internet and you see your work being cribbed then you're the one who are pretty much responsible for taking action you know well, that's one the whole problem with the orphan bill wasn't it that was the uh... <laughs> yeah yeah that was an ugly bit of and it's still being argued you yeah. know what was this the orphan works bill ah in which I'm, I'm ashamed to say has been largely a, uh, a surprisingly a liberal movement. Who I believe one of the key one of the key designers was a I believe a liberal uh, congressman from Vermont was one of the people engineering that that uh, bill. Pretty ugly business. Well, there's no uh, left or right to stupid. It's just that's right. Stupid. That's right. <laughs> Onion heads on both sides. <laughs> that's right. Um, I remember a thing a while ago where an artist was complaining that a um, a curio shop that made little tchotchkes was ripping off her paintings. But then it turned out that a lot of the subjects of her paintings were in turn traced directly from somebody's photographs. I don't remember who it was, but it was like it was like a matryoshka dolls of plagiarism. Like oh man, plagiarism within plagiarism within plagiarism. Well, but that, that's just it, you know. I mean, some people are heavily inspired, and it's you know, it's 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 different. Like for example, um, was the, some recent fine art stuff that's come out where this guy has essentially taken science fiction, older science fiction novel covers and enlarged them onto canvas, um, essentially just replicated them. Oh. I've seen that, yeah. Yeah, and claimed it as art. And I mean, it's, you know... Was he arguing <laughs> the transform... <laughs> was he I arguing mean, them as transformative objects or, or what? I mean, what yeah, was he... Yeah. You know, yeah. it, it kind of... To what degree does that kind of uh, yeah. work? I mean, you can also... I mean, collage artists and, and, and things like that. But if you're, if you're... It's also different if you're making a profit of something too hmm. you know if, if, um, and which is what those you know specifically that guy is doing you know he, he sold his work for like 20 million dollars or something but he had actually sought permissions right the, the one that came because he won the, I can't remember the art prize he was he won for it but it was a, based on a Chris Foss uh, cover wasn't it but he yeah. had actually sought, sought permission from Chris Foss to use it so I mean in, in that sense it doesn't really matter how close a copy it was. He had actually sought permission and acknowledged it wasn't like he was pretending it was his own creation or something beyond... No, that, yeah, you know, that's the true, but I mean, he didn't actually give his permission. That was the thing. Uh, well, no, he did, he did. Actually, I heard Chris Foss interviewed on the radio and he did give his permission for that painting. Really? It's just that Chris Foss hadn't really necessarily understood the full implications of what was going to, you know, what, what this guy was going to do with it down the line. Um, because when the guy first sought permission, his career wasn't as established as it as it has since become. Oh, interesting. And Chris huh. was quite happy anyway. He said he got a shed out of it or something. I mean, you know, he shed. Of, I mean, he did he did get sort of some some payment for it. So you know, and he, he oh did really? Just, yeah. 
So yeah, I guess the, the article is, I read last the, week... The controversy really about that, that people were getting very hit on, was, was it art and, you know, is it fair in a sense that um, he copied this thing and, you know, make... It, it, I think that painting has been sold for certainly several... Uh, certainly like a million pounds or something, or, you know, yeah, a couple of million pounds or yeah. something. And, and it's like, is that art? Because all he's done is taken someone else's picture in and copied it. But, you know, Lichtenstein did that as well, didn't he? So. Yeah. yeah. I've I've learned not to ever criticize Lichtenstein because absolutely insane Lichtenstein uh, uh, fans will hound you on the internet until you admit that he's a great artist and not a plagiarist. That is some tasty Kool Aid. Because fine art is, you know, certainly contemporary fine art is is very much about art history and self referencing anyway. So I feel it sort of inhabits its own sort of subsphere. Really, it's not just about the image. It's a it is about the narrative within it, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it, sometimes, but also yeah. sometimes it's about mm-hmm. selling to a you know a, a very wealthy client. I don't think it's all about selling to a very wealthy client. So, <laughs> yeah. so, so that's that's kind of when fine art falls under commercial art, you know, and then you really sort of get into copyright infringement. You know, yeah. why does a yeah. software have any more um, right to to essentially steal someone else's work and republish it? as opposed to Simon Schuster or Wizards of the Coast or, or whatnot. You know, I mean, it's, you know. But so, uh, when, Lichten, when Lichtenstein is making a giant uh, oil painting based on a, a comic book panel and, and you see the individual dots and, and you know, you see how, how he's painted it and, and taken the, the abstract, uh, you know, art of illustration and turned it into... Uh, uh, Sort of a, a dialogue on what what we see versus what we uh, think we see. You know, that's fine art. But then when he sells prints of it, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that's a complete like, ripoff. They're <laughs> like taking it back from spectacle to the original format. Exactly. You know, lately I, I discovered this thing, uh, Google Street View, and I found my grandmother's house where I used to live. My whole family used to live there with my grandmother. And uh, it looked smaller. But ever since I saw it, you know, I I went down the street too and went to the seashore and to the primary school where I went to primary school, uh, King Case Primary School, which looked almost exactly the same. Ever since I saw it, I felt this desire to go home. And that ties in how? Oh, I'm, I'm waiting sorry. for it. I'm waiting for this payoff. <laughs> I'm sorry. I I just got off on the tangent apropos of absolutely nothing. Why don't we just stop right here and just have a nice cup of tea and just you know discuss. <laughs> Next subject. <laughs> Next subject. <laughs> what you know? In part of, of George's question is, um, say etiquette on things like uh, t- randomly tagging uh, a fellow artist on Facebook, and I think Ralph had a really good answer regarding that. Oh well, we were just talking about it briefly before the show, and, and basically the whole thing. I think it is rude to tag people, you know. But the whole thing you can set yourself up on Facebook is that you can you can have it your privacy setting. Um, so that you are notified when you are tagged, and you have to give permission 
posted on your timeline, which is a way of controlling something like that, which I think everyone should do, regardless, you know, for personal or professional reasons. Yeah, I think it has to be relevant before you tag somebody. I mean, the only time I ever tagged somebody in a drawing was when it was a drawing of them. I mean, I, I think it's probably not crossing the line to tag somebody when you've drawn their portrait. But if it's just somebody you're a fan of and there's no particular reason to tag them. Oh, I also tagged a couple of people when somebody challenged me to draw a picture the size of a postage stamp and a couple of people were egging me on to do it. So I tagged them when I did it. <laughs> but other than that, I don't tag people into my art. It seems like it would not be relevant to their timeline. Really. Yeah. The, the one time I've kind of veered away from that, which I kind of didn't at the same time, but I also felt uncomfortable about tagging was, um, uh, when I've done tutorials or, um, write-ups, and I've referenced people, um, like if someone has been an inspiration or something like that, um, I'll tag them. Um, uh, and then if, you know, if they've got a fan page, I'll try to tag that first. Um, uh, but, you know, I still feel kind of weird about doing that. Cause no, 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 don't. You should do that, though, because, you know, I like when people do that because then I, then I find out about it. Otherwise, people could be yeah, talking yeah. about me, and I wouldn't even know. And especially if they were saying nice things, I want to know. Yeah, that's what I thought. I mean, if you're being nice, you know, you're not calling the person a shitbag. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if somebody was, if somebody was like, um, artists who do pen and ink wrong, hashtag so miles. <laughs> I uh, I tag uh, people almost on a daily basis, but it's only because I'm sharing their artwork. On my feed. Well, yeah, I mean, if you're sharing their artwork. Yeah, that's relevant. Yes, exactly. Then, then it would probably be ruder not to tag them. I think what he was hmm. probably referring to is people who they just tag. I've seen it happen a few times. It's happened to me a few times. People will just tag in a whole lot of artists into their personal work, which has nothing to do with those artists, On the apparently. I mean, you can't really tell if there's something to do with you or not. It doesn't look like your work. You can't see exactly why they're tagging you. I think, and I, I, I've, it's been. I was thinking about this, and it, it suggests, rightly or wrongly, that the person, when they do that, is an, sort of attempting to gain access to that artist's audience, and, and this, that audience is relevant to the artist, not necessarily the artist in question. If that makes sense, it, it sounds it, it maybe not intended that way, but it can kind of play in, in the imagination that way. Yeah, I, I mean, if, if that is your intent, it's probably you should restrain yourself. I wonder as well whether people, you know, um, I, I think, yes, restraint should be show, shown there if people are just sort of seeking attention. But I wonder as well whether people sort of feel like they're sort of engaging in some sort of dialogue with with you when they're doing that. Because, of course, when we sort of put ourselves out there sort of very publicly uh, through our you know, websites and Facebook pages and whatever else. There is scope for people to engage with you through the comments or writing you messages, things like that. And I wonder whether people sort of think they're doing the same thing, but really they're not. They're doing something subtly different and, and far less appropriate. I think that I think that um, that, that um, ties back into something we've discussed in a previous episode. How online, because of the nature, especially of social media, some people get the feeling they know you a lot better than they actually do. Because or that they, have a, or that they have a right of access to you that they don't in some ways. 
Yeah, I mean, because, you know, Facebook feels so casual. I mean, um, you can you can get the feeling that you know somebody pretty well because you're, you're talking to them and they're responding back to you. But, you know, you actually don't really know that person all that well, possibly. I mean, some people on Facebook I really do know very well, but other people I'm, I'm always very aware of. I'm talking to somebody that I don't really know that well. Um, and, you know, I, I, I talk to them differently than if I was talking to, you know, one of you guys. And, um, you know, I, th I think some people, they, they don't, they don't, they don't really notice the boundaries or they get the wrong idea and they, they tag you in and the, exactly like Ralph just said, they think you're, they think they're um, engaging you in a dialogue and, you know, people want to do that. I don't mind. I'd encourage them to do it to me, but if they could maybe after they tag me, just, mm, like, I mean, once somebody tagged me and asked for advice and, and, and that was appreciated because I knew why I was tagged and what I was supposed to do. So, you know, if, so, if you want a critique or something, or if you just want to show me some art, or if you just want my opinion, then put after the tag, like tagging Stokar Miles, because I want her to see this or tagging oh, oh, Stokar Miles because so, I need a critique. Oh, so, so basically <laughs> include a call for action. Yeah, yeah, like, or just, yeah. or just say, you know, just, or, you know, if you just were saying hi, just say, just tagging to say hi. Because, I mean, mm. that's a legitimate reason to tag someone, too, just to say good morning or something, I guess. If, if, but that would probably be if you, if you actually know that person. Yeah. <laughs> I should, I should probably clarify that um, my, um, my earlier interpretation was the worst case scenario where somebody's just trying to tap into a, a fellow artist's audience. I think I'm more on the line with uh, Ralph's uh, reasoning that it's probably more to do with just um, just not really knowing that what they're doing could be construed the wrong way. That's just a, it's a, not ignorance, just not really taken into account. I think the, that's a, that makes a fair point at the end there is that when you're sort of tagged like that and you receive a notification that you've been tagged, I don't necessarily know what I'm meant to do. I'm meant to go and like that post myself or... Um, I'm, I'm getting quite a bit of echo here. Sorry, it's putting me off a lot. Yeah, we we are echoing a bit now again. How odd. Uh, well, we, we we sound rather authoritative with our <laughs> echoing voices. I think we're we're all at the mic and you know at uh, Madison Square Garden. We are Zeus speaking to you from Mount Olympus today. <laughs> Zeus and um, it seems to be a bunch settling of now. other peoples. Um, what other gods can we be? Um, I, I want to be Zeus. I want to be the king. Mm. You guys can be whatever gods you want. You know, you know. <laughs> well, I'll I'll be Odin. <laughs> did Did you guys have anything have else you wanted to add to that uh, to George's question? Sorry. I, I think <laughs> we've pretty much played that one out. Well, I'll just start right here and say Carla Moro asks. <laughs> For the for the umpteenth time. <laughs> Why does she keep asking this question? I don't know. I think it's probably because Jeremy is really horrible at clicking buttons. That could be it. Yeah, we, we started, for the benefit of the people who couldn't hear what we were just doing, which is everyone, we've, we started answering this question a couple of times, and we were interrupted by various technical issues. <laughs> we now return you to our regular recording.
Carla Morrow asks us to discuss a little bit um, about how the business of art has changed in the digital age. And I think we've discussed this on ver- in various facets over previous episodes, but I was wondering if you guys had any additional uh, thoughts that you'd like to share on it. Uh, one thing that I noted, uh, and it's been, it's been pointed out to me, that uh, we're now seeing artists in their more formative years, and they're developing their skills in a very public forum on social media, Facebook, DeviantArt, places of that sort, and receiving very you know, open critique and getting a lot more eyeballs on their work than, say, someone who started out 20 years ago might have enjoyed. You know, the kind of uh, access to commentary and education has changed considerably. And, and Patrick, you were pointing out something and following to that. Yeah, sort of a, a corollary or a, a downside to that same thing is that I uh, was recently redoing my uh, website, www.megaflowgraphics.com, and... Uh, <laughs> you are shameless. <laughs> Wait, do you want to plug your comic while you're at it? (laughs) Yeah, I I was putting things from my uh, World War Kaiju comic uh, available now on Uh, (laughs) Amazon.com. On on Megaflowgraphics.com, my website. And uh, it it sort of dawned on me that there are sites uh, all over the Internet that have my work from 5, 10, 12 years ago. Uh, sitting around on them as though it's brand new and nobody really knows the difference so they they put in you know Patrick McAvoy without putting say megaflowgraphics.com which is my website and (laughs) (laughs) and up will come these things that I did at the very beginning of my career and it's just it's an interesting downside to that whole thing like yes you can put your stuff up and get uh you know, get publicity, get feedback, and all that. But uh, the internet being what it is, it that will stuff's... come back and embarrass you later. <laughs> you know, actually, you. I heard I heard that somebody, I think it was Irene Gallo, um, said that when she's looking for artists, she looks in Google Images, not at their website. And those words haunt me because yes. there's a bunch of absolute <laughs> garbage on Google Images associated with my name which is on other people's sites, so I can't do anything about it. And a lot of it is either really rubbishy, ancient work from before I even went to art school, or it's digital work, which I don't offer anymore. So people could be, you know... I I still occasionally get somebody um, asking me to do some digital work for them, and I'm not set up for that anymore, so I have to disappoint them. That's a scary thing for Irene to, to have said. On the other hand, she could have said it 10 wait, years wait, wait, ago, wait, wait, and it's still up, sitting up, around up, on the internet. Shut up. Before, before you carry on with that, um, I just have to say, I'm not sure if it was Irene. So, Irene, if you're out there and you're listening, and I have maligned you falsely, I do apologize. I don't know you i'm sure you're a lovely person um well <laughs> so, i'm actually so advice we're giving then that you should hang off going on the internet for as long as possible until you get the worst thing is though at your beginning of your career is the time oh when you're God. least equipped to know that you're rubbish yes like i uh, thought i was a shit back then our- Learn from our sad experience, folks. <laughs> well, you know, the, the scary thing is we're recording on a Thursday, and the, the, the scary truth is that every day on the Internet is Throwback Thursday. You can go, you, like you say, you go into Google, you're going to see stuff that you may have posted a decade ago. And 
So basically, I mean, the internet is th- is a throwback Thursday, and I think if you're, I, I think I may recall uh, some of that discussion you're talking about, Silicon. I think um, I can't recall if it was, if this is indeed attributed to Irene. She may have also pointed out that um, she's conscious about the dates associated with a particular image. She, you know, she is looking for the latest stuff, not necessarily. Um, she, I think she's cautious about what she's what she's actually looking at on the internet, in terms of oh, its right, age. Yeah. You, you I'm, can't I'm really, sure she you, is. yeah, I you can't surf the internet without looking at at the age. You, if you if you're searching for a topic and you read an article online and you said, "Oh my God, I'm so angry about this," how can this happen this like day and age? Exactly. <laughs> and then you read the date. It's care, it's important to read the date of the blog post. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. You know? I and mean, I'm sure she does and everything. I was just mentioning it though because. You know, if you if you Google image just about anybody's name, you come up with something that, you know, the first images might not be <laughs> what they want you to see. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I have my portfolio carefully arranged so the newest work is first. And then I still have older work up there because I've actually arranged my website so that it can be not just for art directors but also for fans. And fans sometimes want to see more than art directors do. But I get around that by just putting the newest and presumably best work first and then the old work is kind of buried so fans can still see it if they want to but people who are going to hire me won't see it right there on the front page for me the the, the point i was moving on actually i was going to make a different point about this sort of digital age as it were which is i guess is the obvious one is that it, it has internationalized everything in, because everything now is in proximity so my distance from the internet is the same as yours you know, my this is from my email to any of you is the same for all of us, um, and that is something which which certainly I've seen happen in my lifetime. When when I started off working, I was posting, you know, I was faxing or photocopying and posting sketches to art directors. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, and if you wanted yeah. to see another artist's work, you had to physically go and see it, or you had to buy an expensive art book. Yeah, mm-hmm. and one of the, another aspect is we're seeing um, more an influx of foreign artists, artists from um, places that we may not have ever seen their work prior to this decade. You know, if there was a time when if you were an American illustrator, you're you're pretty much your competition were other American illustrators. But no, um, it's everybody. It, yeah, but, but it, on the other well, yeah, well, well, it seems. Conversely, though, you've yeah. also now you've now got your markets everywhere. Oh, of course! Oh, yeah. Your market was only within America. That's you know it cuts both ways. Sure. You know, I mean, I know a lot of um, uh, 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 the big name artists now are working for Applebot, which is you know Japanese Japanese um, the Japanese Chinese sure. Japanese Japanese company. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, so that market's cutting both ways there, isn't it? Oh yeah. No, I'm not seeing it as a negative. I'm just saying it's 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 a new facet to operating as a as an illustrator in this day and age. Annoyingly, yeah. annoyingly my website is banned in China. Really? I think it's I think I don't think it's specifically banned. I think it's it's just banned with a whole bunch of domains together, you know. But somebody somebody oh. explained it to me once why it might be banned and I can't remember it, so I, I'm, I'm, but for one reason and another, it's banned. So um, apparently, I, I found out a while ago, I have a, a, a sort of okay fan base in China, but for them to, to get in touch with me to buy my art is quite difficult. So that's annoying. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I got an email from somebody who had finally bought a piece of my art that, 
she wanted to buy for a long time, and she couldn't buy it till she moved out of China. Wow. And I was well, like, wow, Well, I that's think in annoying. a way all, all repressive totalitarian regimes are annoying. <laughs> well, the, uh, George, uh, actually, you know, uh, Carla's question kind of feeds a little bit into one of the questions from Patricia Smith, in which she, in which she asked about websites like Squarespace, Cargo Collective, DeviantArt, online stores like Etsy, Store Envy, Big Cartel. Um, these are, she points out these are pretty big topics on Facebook right now. And um, it also kind of ties into a question that I believe Chantal asked me about what, what experience I'm having with selling art online. I, I myself, I'm not having that much. Uh, I, don't, I don't sell that much online right now. Uh, I haven't been pushing too hard on it, and uh, that's my own fault. But uh, maybe some of you guys have been a little bit more active in it, and maybe you could uh, maybe share some of your thoughts on. I understand that Etsy recently changed its policies regarding the handmade criteria oh, for yeah, their products, and that's an thrown the doors wide that. to you know cheaply manufactured goods that are competing negatively with um, handmade yeah, goods. Yeah, apparently they um, people's people's revenues went down by. You know, up to ninety percent practically overnight. You know, they 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 started yeah. out. They were only competing with other people who were doing handmade products of roughly the same price range, and um, well, a variety of qualities. But you know, you know, every everybody had to be able to pay for the materials and so forth. Because, I mean, presumably small hand-making outfits can't buy the materials in bulk like a large factory could. So suddenly, things that people have been selling on Etsy for $40, $50, some people were coming and selling the sort of generic version for 3 bucks. And worst of all, they were listing each a separate thing, not as giant lots of it. So you'd have to go through like 50 pages of identical mass-produced stuff to find. Oh. And I mean, I think, most people won't think, look that hard. I think that's unfortunate for, for Etsy and its sort of ethos. I mean, I use Etsy, but, but personally, I don't envisage anyone going to the front page of Etsy and trying to find my art that way. And if they did, they would then consider buying it, um, you know, the, at the prices I, I'm sort of selling it for, really. I don't see it as a, as a sort of casual browsing Sort of thing for me. The benefits of Etsy are is the very is the fact you can list items for six months for twenty cents, and um, so you know it means you can have a big catalogue up there, which you can sort of keep up. Which for me, I can keep pretty active, and it's a good sort of shop room for people to go to. They, they I think that it's easier for me to manage than doing something through my own website. <clears throat> so, you know, I'm very happy with it. I've I've had some good sales through through sort of Etsy, and I think using a shop front like that has certainly made things a lot easier for me. Um, so, unfortunately, it's changing, but the, the basis of it, it works fine f as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, that, that's a good good point. Thank you. I, you know, I'm, I'm glad to hear this uh, conversation because I really don't know much about Etsy. I put some things on it and... Yeah, I fiddled with it for a while, but never sold anything, so I kind of gave up. So it's good to get the uh, lowdown on it. But for me, yeah, it's just I, I the best way once. to use it. Yeah, I, I think you've got to direct traffic there. You, you know, I just whenever I put an image up, I always um, um, with a description. I put links to my website, to my shop, you know, to print shop, whatever else, so that <clears throat> that information is there for people. And I think you've got to keep 
trying to direct traffic, haven't you, on the internet? That's the problem, is how you attract people and how you direct them to where you want them to go, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I was going to say, you really have to flog it, because I tried it and I didn't, and then didn't sell anything. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think I even mentioned on Facebook that I had an Etsy page. I should try that again sometime. Although these lately... Things are, yeah. Sorry, go on. I was going to say, I think that's a trouble, though. A lot of these things do take time. It's like one of the other sites was mentioned there, DeviantArt. Now, DeviantArt, when you first go on it, can seem... Like, there's, you know, how, how do you get this thing to work for me? It's, it can seem, you know, it could be a bit lost in the masses. And I think it does take time. But, again, I've been directing people there from other places. Now I've built it up. So I've got some, like, 15,000 followers or, or more than that probably now on, on there. I've lost track of it. Uh, but, you know, there's a sort of snowball rolling. You've got to get it going. And then once people are there, then you might get a daily deviation. And then that raises your profile. And if you get them, that gets more followers. It's all, I mean, that's the trouble with the internet. It's hard work. <laughs> You know, I want to be sat here painting paintings. I don't want to be sat on the internet posting posts, really. But it, but it's become maybe that is the thing of the digital digitalization. Well, we've all got to, you know, we've got to promote ourselves. We're expected to promote ourselves online, aren't we? And if you don't, if people go and look for your presence and don't find it, um, you know, that I don't know. Is that seen as a negative now, or are you just losing out to someone else? Are they going to go and follow someone else? I, I don't know. I don't know what the quite how those pressures translate through, really. But they can feel like those pressures are there. I, th I think, you know, in this day and age, people people want, they want access. I mean, even people like Hollywood celebrities and stuff, they have Twitters, which they probably don't even maintain themselves. But, you know, fans like to talk to those Twitters and maybe get a response, and then they feel connected to some famous person. And it's the same with anybody who has any kind of job that generates fans of their work or fans mm. of them, you, you know, people want some, people want to be able to talk to you. People want to feel like they're part of something, like they, um, they can connect with you. Um, hey, you know, given your, I'm curious to know what do you guys think is the role of um, retail sites like Etsy and Store Envy, which are customizable to your own purposes. But, I mean, I have a Store Envy um, store, but I, I've stopped maintaining it for the most part. And for the simple reason, I'm starting to question its, um, its use because people are not going to, as you point out on, for yourself, Ralph, on a site like Etsy, you're not getting a whole lot of incidental traffic or incidental eyeballs on your work. It's more of a direct, you may direct directly link on social media or on your website is it more is it just a handy set of tools to run a storefront or is it i mean does it have a, a function beyond that and i'm just thinking what does a, a comp what does store envy etsy bring to the table in terms of helping you to sell your work well, well personally i would rather someone wrote to me directly and I arranged a private sale <clears throat> because then I'm not paying a commission to Etsy, but presumably I'm not paying, you know, whatever, whatever of the fees, you know. So, but, it, but I realise it's a lot easier for people. They can go and anonymously they can look at my shop and they can browse through what's there and they can get an indication. I mean, it's not, it's not everything I've got by any means, but they can get a good indication of what my sort of price range are, what sort of things are available, you know. And, and I think people... It's like when you're at a convention or something where you're sat behind your table. Certain people, you know, come along and they want to talk to you and they want to talk to you as you're looking through their art. And other people just want to be left alone to look at it in, in their own and make their own, feel like they've got their own headspace to work with it. And that's fine. But by having that web shop, I feel I can accommodate both those people. people can go, uh, plus, it has, plus it has built-in e-commerce that you don't have to set up yourself. I mean, well, I'm, too, I'm apparently too stupid to set up e-commerce. So when you go to my site, it tells 
customers to email me if they want to buy something. Mm. And I swear every second person who emails to buy something complains about that while they're emailing. Yeah. Okay, so it kind of pre- helps to preserve that um, that sense of uh, anonymity that a lot of internet uh, users actually do prefer. One yeah, I mean, is always the best way to go. A lot of people don't really want to mm. talk to you. They just want to press a button and get your thing. What was Although, that I mean, weird voice? Um, what was that bizarre voice I just heard? It sounded oddly Canadian. Very Canadian. Are you talking to me? No, it's, it's the Drew. real Canadian. It's Drew Baker. Oh, did we just get Eric? No, no it's Drew. No, Drew? it's... <laughs> oh, man. Drew, Drew is not Canadian. Drew moved He's up from to Vancouver Utah. Island. You guys didn't know that, but Drew lives here. What? Where does he live? In Canada? Nothing. I'm just kidding. He does not. He lives in, like, Utah. He and he and Eric take tra- you know they take turns at the mic just to confuse you. Yeah, so oh, this is, this is I hate I hate those guys. <laughs> they are the worst. <laughs> well, um, welcome, Eric Lofgren. Well, thank you, and uh, it's good to talk to you guys. Uh, how's Hi, everything Eric. over there at EricLofgren.net? <laughs> Everything's doing just fine. Very busy right now. I'm enjoying this conversation. I always like to listen to Ralph because he's always got so much information to give out. And mm-hmm. I'm kind of on this tangent right now of trying to promote my own work myself. I don't know if you guys saw what I did on uh, Facebook, but I started a group, a group, not a page, a group called Artists Selling Their Work. Not a very creative name right now, but uh, yeah. I thought whole- Jeremy started that. No, I'm just a moderator. Yeah, I made Jeremy Jeremy a moderator. What you? I don't know. Do you ever do anything there, Jeremy? <laughs> I, I occasionally I'll I'll try to vet um, people as they come through asking for um, for membership for uh, social security number. I hope. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I try to get as much personal information about them as I can. Absolutely. Know. Yeah. As much contact info as possible. Yeah. yeah. I have but a feeling that most people in that group are artists. I was so just going to say that so far. That I've been trying to promote the idea of, like, talk to your friends if they're, you know, presuming that you know some that are into collecting art. Send them the link. And, uh, I mean, the, the, the broad spectrum of different types of art that are available, not just prints, but, I mean, originals and sculpture and what have you, uh, fan art, it's all available there. But, I mean, if it's just people by artists, which for the most part I think it is right now, it's kind of self-defeating. I, you know, if we keep buying each other's art, we're never going to get anywhere. But uh, that's, I think, <laughs> yeah, you know, listening to what's going on, uh, have, getting people to your – I mean, I try and promote it constantly. And getting people interested in coming to your whatever you have, whether it's Etsy, Store Envy, even Society6 with the digital prints and everything. It's a real oh, chore. Oh, that reminds uh, me. I have a new print to put up on that. I haven't, um, you know, I'll, I'll be <laughs> here, but I haven't sold a print at Society6 probably for six months or more. It's like, eek. Mm, so, I, mean, I haven't been flogging it enough. I get a few trickle well, in every month. What I'm thinking is that uh, maybe the whole, maybe maybe the catalog you have there needs to be refreshed completely every now and then. Maybe people get tired of seeing the same thing over and over again. Yeah, maybe. Mm. I don't know. I, I, I tend to put the stuff that people like the best up there and just hope that, you know, people trickle yeah. in. I mean, people, like, well, I haven't really sense. been vlogging it, so I only get a few sales a month. But, you know, it's a little extra money. I should probably 
vlog it more. Although, you know, when I finished with art school, I really embraced the internet and the digital age fully. And I started doing pretty much, I stopped showing in galleries and started doing all my sales online, all my self-promotion online. I even did digital art for a long time. And then, but lately I've been exhibiting more in actual galleries and I've been trying to do that even more because A, my work looks way better in person than it does on the internet. And B, galleries, while artists do come in, they also attract specifically people who want to buy some art. Um, so I'm trying to get my art into places where people can see what it really looks like. Well, that's that's interesting. That ties into, and that's we can get back to other aspects, but it ties into. I want to just interject because it ties into Chantal Fournier's question about: Do any ninja have experience with non-genre art events? She did her first art symposium this weekend, and it was a very curious experience. She describes it. I was wondering. She was wondering if any of you do mainstream events like that or have experience with non-genre fans or artists. She found that well, many, of the, you know. I have mm -hmm. to say yes and no to that. Okay. I definitely exhibit in non-genre spaces, but I don't actually attend, so. And it's probably not. <laughs> it's probably non-genre art too, though, right? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. non-genre I mean, art. So uh, that experience with that, but just I was a landscape artist for years, oil painting and acrylic. Uh, I've never actually been in any of the spaces where it's exhibited. I don't. I don't show up for the opening or or hang it myself or anything or talk to anybody else who's there. Mm. I mean, I wish that they could um I wish they could bring technology a little bit into the gallery space like have a computer there or something so that I could Skype in and answer questions at openings, but um, you want to be know. Charlie from Charlie's Angels. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, I'd like to be at my openings, but I can't physically go. So, unless funny, unless, <laughs> unless galleries can unless galleries can bring me in. I mean, I'll show my face, and Charlie, you only see from the behind, right? And he looks an <laughs> awful lot. You know, sounds a lot like a British guy too. I have noticed that. Vaguely, well, like I, a it's I almost like a British Canadian. guy attempting to do an English, uh, you know, American accent. That's what I get off of. Who, Charlie? Yeah, a little bit. A he little was, bit. Uh, just from John Forsyth. John Forsyth, I know. <laughs> he wasn't a British guy, just very refined. From, <laughs> from Boston or something. Hmm, People hmm. from Boston have a lot of remnants of Britishness in their accent. Like Fraser and Niles on Fraser. <laughs> But do you like, other guys have like experience? Uh, hmm? I can't see it. Uh, I mean, have any other guys gone to uh, or attended with your work at non-genre events? I just happened upon a, uh, an Art in the Park event in Manchester, New Hampshire. And uh, I met one fellow who, um, he had some sculpture. He actually, well, he had a couple of pieces that were genre-related. Like, he had a Godzilla. And uh, I think he also had a Frankenstein's head. He had sculpted, but the rest was fairly um, more non-genre-related stuff, and we got to chatting about it. I, I think if I had gone there and tried to exhibit some of my own stuff, I don't believe my uh, reception would be all that um, lucrative, <laughs> let's put it that way. Um, <laughs> yeah. my, I, I think genre work tends to appeal to a rather specific audience that doesn't have this necessary broadness for a non-genre event, maybe, if, unless it's really well attended. 
But I think if it's really uh, fairly generic and non-RPG or CCG, mm-hmm. I'd have a, you know, like these dragons I'm doing right now. That's fairly, uh, you know what I mean, non Nonsense. Yeah, everybody everybody likes dragons. Yeah, not just people who like the fantasy genre. Everybody likes dragons. Like, but you know, children. your painting of uh, of a magic missile spell or something might not <laughs> it might not be appropriate. Well, it kind of calls to mind the series of paintings that you've been doing, Ralph, which are. Um, they're rather classical landscapes with your own personal mm-hmm. feelings about them, but at the same time, there's just oftentimes a little more than a hint of the uh, of a fantasy creature in that environment. And I, I I was curious to know if if um, how what what is influencing that. Um, well, initially, really, it was a way of, of exploring uh, my sort of creative process. Um, through doing some personal work, but 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 also because I do so much figurative work, it was nice to do some landscapes. But I've just really enjoyed the the process. Um, I think it has allowed me to sort of explore my sort of creation of art in a different way, and also they seem to be popular. People really like them, so you know it, it's a win win situation really. And I really enjoy doing them. I feel I learn a lot doing them, and and people like them. And I think part of that is that um, they're very accessible for people, as you say. They just hopefully moody, interesting, evocative, fantastical in that sense, sort of landscapes, but really sort of based very much in the real world. But with just, if you look closely, there's normally a little dragon, well, there's a dragon tucked away there somewhere. Hey, that's and, not a tree back there. That's a dragon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, and I've, I've called the series Wild Born, which is with a sort of the, the sort of subtitle of um, dragons in their natural habitat, which is very much what I'm sort of trying to do, really. But... Yeah, that that's so. I suppose it's not non-genre in that there is fantasy in there, but it, but they are it, they have proven to be very popular with with collectors, and as such, I suppose I'm tailing it. You know. Did you guys did you did you guys see Eric Lofgren's uh, Dragon of British Columbia painting? It's a dragon and very very Canadian-looking scenery with some of our local gulls standing next to it. <laughs> yes, I remember seeing that one. Yeah, that's good. Yes. Yeah, very, very um... similar idea to Ralph. Yeah, I've, I've kind of been percolating that idea for quite a while. So, mm. Ralph, I'm not stealing your concept. It was <laughs> something I had in mind. I'm as sure well. it's not a unique concept, but you know, it's. It is, yeah, it is kind of, it is kind of interesting piece. to see, like, as all of us are aging, or um, should I say maturing, not aging? <laughs> I grow as younger us... with every year. I'm kind of weird that way. But as all of us has, are growing older, um, um, it seems like there's a general trend among most of us to have more explorations of non-genre subjects. I mean, I used to be kind of full-on horror all the time, and my pictures still definitely have a horror feel to them, but often, even though they are kind of creepy, there's no overt horror element anymore. I'm finding it just isn't what I really... I mean, I'm still interested in, in the, the look and the feel, the general creepy atmosphere, but I'm not really as interested in drawing a zombie or a ghoul as I would have been 10 years ago. <laughs> I, I, I think in some ways we, we tend to internalize that stuff so much we probably just just imply in our minds <laughs> there's there's a there's a ghoul right around past this creepy ivy or something <laughs> there's a dragon just behind those rocks yes it's there it's an implied ghoul or dragon 
I did a I did an oil painting several years back of just the uh, California uh, uh, valley, you know, a valley uh, in California off of Highway Five, and an old uh, an old uh, broken down shack, and the foothills in the distance. And I just couldn't help but put two purple dragons flying in the sky behind it. They're just little. <laughs> you wouldn't even notice they were there if you didn't. I bet Bob Ross snuck in dragons every now and then. I'll bet he did. <laughs> Except he did, his with a, he did his with a palette knife, and they That's probably right. looked terrible. <laughs> Look great on TV, but... <laughs> And I've actually just painted one whilst doing this podcast, an 8 by 10 So <clears throat> when did we start recording? A couple of hours ago. So wow. Yeah. Nice one. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm actually, shockingly enough, this is really rare for me. I'm talking to you guys and I'm not working. But to be fair, I got up at 6 o'clock this morning and I worked till 11. So I already did like half a day's work. But today I'm feeling very crappy. No so. Oh, I don't know. I feel really garbagey today. I feel like I swallowed a crab and it's currently pinching its way through my entire digestive system from the gallbladder down. Oh, I hate when that happens. Yeah, I really hate when that happens too. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, come on. Come on. No soccer has crabs jokes. That's just mean. That was too easy. That was low-hanging fruit. (laughs) Yeah, that was... I kind of walked into that one. I'm feeling really garbagey today and I felt like the more I was bending over to work, the worse it got. So I decided to take a break while we do the podcast, and then I'll work more. You know, but... I, I find that the fruit hangs a bit lower as you get older, too. You know, Eric, it is. <laughs> but... I know what you mean. What are you talking about? Don't no, get I'm it. just going to leave that one. That. <laughs> no one wants to touch that comment. <laughs> I have to say, so I really, getting it back off the perverted topic, I have to say I really love my new studio furniture. Ah, yes. You want to uh, wax uh, poetic about that, your that's new just, drawing table? I mean, that's just studio porn. Show us. Uh, you know, really just provide a photo in the... Uh... Yeah, um, if, you, if, you, if you go to Restoration Hardware and look for their... Um, a replica of a 1920s French drafting table. Um, they have this really nice, sturdy, wonderful desk, which um, was on sale a couple of months ago, so I finally bought it. I've been vulturing for, for ages waiting for a sale. So I finally bought it, and I really owed it to myself because for many years I had been doing all my work on a little folding table that really enjoyed collapsing and spilling ink on my trousers. Always on my trousers, directly in the crotch, I swear. So, <laughs> Str- Strangely enough, that is not where her nickname Black Crotch came from. <laughs> but that's a story I'm, I'm for another time. That's a story and for another Nicole, time. I don't, I don't know what he's talking about, and, and I'm going to ignore it. But I have to ask was, you, though, was, Sokar, at what point, was it number 40 or 50 that this happened to you, that you decided it was time? I mean, it was just there was just so many things wrong with this table. Like, there were days when I had to stop working because the table was so low that stomach acid from heartburn was getting in my nose when I bent down to work. <laughs> and I, another time I had a cold and I had to stop working because... My, I was afraid my nose was going to run on the paper. So I finally got a table that, you know, it, it, it 
it inclines, you know, and it's just my back hurts less and I can still work if I have heartburn or a runny nose. It's just wonderful. I can't, I don't know how I lived without this thing for all this time. Working space is always important. Would you yes. like to be alone with your table for a little while, Sokar? We can, oh, we can give you a moment. Give you a moment. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. We won't judge you. This is, a, this is a safe space. We won't judge you here. But you know who has a better table than I do? Who? That guy. Um, what's his name? Alan something. Alan Williams? Uh, yeah, I think that's the one I'm talking about. I know a few Alans. The pencil guy? Um, pencil master? Yeah, pencil dude. Alan yeah. Williams. He got a free table because he um, agreed to show it off when he went to some conventions, which is another benefit of going to conventions that I can never reap. Oh. Um, yeah, I he showed it to me, and it was that. like he got a free one, but the price for them was like $3,200, and I was like, whoa, that's a lot of money. I wonder if I could get a free pizza if I told the pizzeria that I'd eat it in public, that I'd eat it in front of other people. <laughs> On the podcast. I mean, can you imagine? Yeah. I mean, that is just the best thing ever to happen to an illustrator. Wow. My my envy was just so green when I read that that happened to him. Well, you know, that actually describes, it reminds me of a story. Um, Andy Hopp will hopefully <laughs> correct me if this is, if I'm misremembering, but he actually wrote to Micron many years ago. And uh, I think he maybe half-jokingly asked for a sponsorship. And they sent him just a box full of pens. Because he was using Seriously? his work was done with their pens, you know he'd been doing it for years. Uh, Andy Hop. He did, he did that. Wow, yeah, that's, that's he just, like... Sometimes it's it's about asking. Yeah, I <laughs> mean can't... that is like a boss. Maybe I'll try writing to um, uh, um, oh I can't remember. I think it's Stadler who makes the ribs. Ah. I nibs. I use the Hunt Artist Pen One Hundreds. I swear I buy these in boxes of. 200. I go through thousands of them a year. I <laughs> ask for a nib sponsorship. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. Sometimes it just takes the cojones to ask. <laughs> you yeah, know? you know, I've never dared to ask. I guess I have a feeling of inferiority where they'd be like, Who's this lame nobody who is asking for free nibs? What a loser. <laughs> Well, I can certainly uh, see Andy Hop doing that. <laughs> he's, he's got. Yeah, he seems like the kind of person who really goes for it. I admire that yeah, in people. Yeah he's, yeah, he's got it on the ball, that guy. So if you're listening, Andy, big props. Even if the Do story get, isn't true, it's yeah, a good story. We get, we get, we get to uh, Odd Mall or uh, the <laughs> corn on the cob. <laughs> corn yeah, on the cob. I, not corn on the cob, but corn on the cob. I guess I should stop being so filled with envy and start being a little more enterprising instead. When I see good things happening like that to people, I'm just so envious, and I don't even think that I could make it happen too. <laughs> oh, I'm just so let's, happy. It, oh, go ahead, Patrick. I, I was going to digress uh, and uh, ask about art technique real quick. Okay. <laughs> sure. Strange thing for, for artist podcast. I know. I know. Mm. Uh, what is uh, what is your Sokar? Your uh, uh, where does your preference stem from for the one hundred as opposed to say the one hundred three? 
I like I like the 101 myself, but I've got a really hard, uh, you know, line. My my hand is is really too hard, and the the 100 just kind of blobs all over the place for me. But I know the the 100 and the 103 are really close. Uh, I, I mean, did you go through a bunch of them, or do you use I did, different I ones? Did. I do use different ones. I use mostly the 100s because they're very versatile. I find I can get a heavy, a fairly heavy line if I want by putting some more pressure, and I can get um, a somewhat. I can get a line that's so thin and wispy it looks like a pencil drew it from a distance, mm. also from the same nib. And I like this particular one. There are there are several, in fact, that you can get good line variety from but I like this one because it fits perfectly with a Koinura pen holder hmm. it holds it nice and tightly but it doesn't get stuck in there I mean some nibs really get stuck in there and <laughs> some of and, and then some of them waggle and the 100 is just the perfect fit for my favorite pen holder and it also achieves the line the, the type of lines that I like so it's just all around like a nib was made for me. I, I just love that nib. And um, I was really angry because they used to be 85 cents each and now they're $1.15 each. Yeah. I know, inflation. Mm. <laughs> but um, I, I, I can't say enough good things about this nib. It just it fits my style perfectly. Mm-hmm. It fits my needs perfectly. I just have no complaints about this nib at all. It's just uh, perfect. That's great. Yeah, I go through the I, – I usually do the 101, but I've got like two or three 100s I haven't even used. It's, uh, it's an interesting thing that it's such a, a personal the uh, only, preference. The only, thing, the only thing with the 100s and really all the very fine nibs is they don't last that long. Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. I think I think they do for people with a much looser style than mine, but if you're going to be doing thousands and thousands and thousands of tiny strokes – in just a few square inches, um, the nib mm-hmm. will eventually. I don't know if the tip actually gets scraped to a dullness or if it gets bent or I, contorted somehow. But I remember reading about Wrightson saying that uh, the first little while with the nib was kind of useless for me. He, he had to keep using and using it until he got it just right. Well, some of those yeah, there's sort of a sweet spot. There's yeah. sort of a sweet yeah. spot. Mm-hmm. When you first start drawing for the first half hour, you kind of dipping into the ink pot an awful lot and it, it doesn't want to draw at first and you have to get it limbered up. And then you have a, you have a few hours in there that are the sweet spot, maybe one, maybe two, maybe up to four hours if you're really lucky. And then the nib starts it it's maybe my hand is too heavy or something or but the 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 tines stop coming back together properly right, and right. too many blobs open. are coming yeah. yeah and 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 you know my hand now is my right hand is totally destroyed i i think i mentioned this in a previous podcast but i squashed it during the summer there was a hump in my carpet i tripped over it i broke my mm-hmm. index finger and oh. I didn't realize you, you had mentioned you'd hurt yourself. I didn't realize it was broken. Yeah, I did. I didn't oh. realize it was broken at first. Um, for about a month, I didn't realize it was actually broken because it didn't hurt as much as when I broke other bones. And I didn't. I could still sort of bend it, but 
over about uh, the course of a month or so, I gradually was losing more and more mobility. It was becoming more and more swollen and red. So eventually, in spite of my terror of cars, bridges, dogs, and vomit, and doctors and hospitals, I went and had it looked at. <laughs> and um, he, the doctor just taped it to the finger next to it and said it was healing okay. Was it a green stick fracture, basically just a partial no. fracture, or was it full through? It was not a green stick fracture. A green stick fracture is the one where it pokes through your skin. No, 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 no. That's not a no. Green stick fracture is a partial fracture. When it sticks to the skin, it's a compound fracture. I I thought a green stick (laughs) fracture was the one where it's poking out through the skin. No, no, that's compound. (laughs) Well, it was it was the kind that doesn't stick through your skin. (laughs) Okay, you. you, (laughs) That's good. Ow, we we prefer that kind. That I would have noticed. (laughs) <laughs> but I, so I kept it taped to the finger next to it for a couple of weeks, but I kept working because I had a lot of work to do. And I think maybe that was a mistake because it just, it simply didn't heal. It now has virtually no strength, no mobility. Uh, two, I, I tried, um, <laughs> I tried doing like, I tried um, just folding it and folding it and folding it and trying to force it to bend. But the pain was excruciating. It it was it was just worse than even the instant when I broke it. It was horrible. So now I have to draw. I could draw with my left hand, but my but I only have a place to put the ink on the right hand side. So I can't draw with my left hand. And also, I can only really do textures with my left hand. Anything like lines that require continuity, I can't use my left hand because I have to be able to see where the pen is going. So, anyway, yeah. Uh, um, and you know, on, on two separate occasions as a uh, lifeguard and sports trainer by by turns, I have seen full uh, snapping of the forearm. Oh, Both that bones would be snapped. Awful. I've seen basically people who could basically tickle their own elbows. With uh... <laughs> no, I, I don't want to hear this. But, but, but the way it's but the way it is now, basically, my right index finger is sticking up in the air straight and useless while I'm drawing with my other three fingers and my thumb. So Mm. the grip isn't as good. Um, It takes a little longer to get anything done. So I've tried to, what I'm doing at the moment is a lot of really small drawings (laughs) to get back in the swing of things and try to get to the point with a missing finger essentially that I could do before it's really a big annoyance for me as an illustrator the last thing you want is a broken index finger yeah on your drawing hand yeah the only worst thing would be if I broke my thumb yeah you know guys I'll probably have to let you guys wrap up with a discussion I believe of Inktober that's oh, the yeah, latest event. Oh, this kind of segues good. nicely, and I gotta go that's look after a little guy. So okay. uh, I'll leave it to you, and I I, ho- I may be back, but if not, just wrap it up, and I'll leave it recording. We'll, we'll do the wrap up in a Sweet. in a thoroughly professional and adult manner. <laughs> and I, I expect at least sixteen references to McHughStudios.com in the. Uh... <laughs> okay. 
We're on it. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> oh, I'm afraid to even ask. <laughs> this would be fun. <laughs> all over this. Sure. Let's, let's tell everybody his website is mixpewstudios.com. Yeah. And make vomit noises. Dot net. <laughs> okay, so yeah, what is the story with this whole Inktober thing, little Miss Ink? Tell us. I found out about it yesterday, actually. I had just posted an ink drawing on Facebook, and I was taking the opportunity to, you know, look at other stuff on Facebook and eat my lunch. And I noticed a bunch of people had been posting ink drawings, like, way more than usual, and that they were tagging it Inktober. So I Googled Inktober, and Inktober is this thing started by some guy. I think his name is Josh or Jeremy something, or James or Jack. It's one of them <laughs> J names. Not not so, Inky not Inky McToberberg. <laughs> no, somebody yes. who's by a computer should Google this. It's not um, his last name, Jack Inktober. <laughs> no, no, Inktober because it's October and you draw an ink drawing every day. Or you can draw one every second day or one every week. But you should probably try to do it every day. And it's like to get people drawing in ink for October. And so... The It's Jake Parker. Jake Parker. Thank <laughs> the, you the address is, is The address is Mr. Jake Parker, all one word, dot com uh, forward slash Inktober. Well, it's also on Facebook, too. You can find him. Mm. A page to dedicate. Yeah, there's a whole yeah, page for it. Yeah. So anyway, I found it. So I retroactively tagged the drawing. I posted Inktober and sort of jumped on the bandwagon. And I did one today as well. And it's fun. Right, so he says you can do it daily or go the half marathon route and post every other day or just do the 5K and post once <laughs> yeah. a week. <laughs> Bear, bear in mind, bear in mind that gonna... I will not be doing a marathon, a half marathon, or a 5K. I will just be drawing. <laughs> <laughs> you'll, uh, you'll, you'll be doing the, the 50 meters uh, over the course of a month. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really liking it, though, because I'm seeing people drawing in ink who don't usually draw in ink. And, you know, I really like ink, especially black and white. It's my favorite medium. And it's one which I feel is overlooked a bit, you know. It's it's um that it is. Oh um, yeah, well I I uh, I sometimes just just start uh, you know jonesing to get sit down and do some ink, and I pull out my my series seven and start <laughs> start brushing something just because it's so fun to do. Are you mocking me right now? Nope, I'm being completely serious for a change. <laughs> I like to see, I like it, I like this Inktober. I like to see other people posting some inks and ink getting to be cool for a month. I mean, hmm. you know, a lot I of people, you, a lot of people. At, oh, go ahead. Okay. No, no, continue. I was just well, blathering. I'm just going to say, if you look at the quality of the artwork, um, especially on the Facebook page, it's just incredible. The amount of talent that are uh, that are out there doing black and white. I just I posted some black and white work that I didn't e I didn't even know about Inktober. Well, it's only about twenty percent actual 
ink and the rest of it's Photoshop. But on the other hand, I challenge anyone to tell me which part is ink and which part isn't. So there we go. getting your stuff. That, you know, this Facebook thing really drives me nuts. Jeez. I think Eric Lofgren is doing Inktober. I saw him post one today, and it was tagged. And yesterday he was posting this dragon in inks that had some awesome textures. It was so good. Yeah, that Eric Lofgren guy is pretty good, I will tell you. Yeah, I, I really like his inks. He should do them more. I bet he really appreciates you saying that. No, he's a, he's <laughs> he a bit of a jerk. I don't think he cares. <laughs> <laughs> I say it's oh, his face, but he isn't here. <laughs> He's probably actually working. Thanks for the kind. Of course. I know. I'm not saying I don't like any of the rest of your work. I was just mentioning Eric because I happened to see his work today, and it was it was really good. And I was like, well, nice. I'm really pushing hard to take, take uh, spare moments and do up stuff for myself for private sales. I, I think that's part of the key of becoming successful in this. Yes. Not just counting on uh, published publisher. Oh, well, Ralph has certainly got that uh, yeah. that whole thing going on, which I've always admired. I'm working. Have, uh, to, I'm working towards two art books now. <laughs> I'm working very slowly on Mr. Gnarly Pouch. Doesn't like you, but I'm also going to put out a book of tiny arts to take yeah, full you know, this, advantage of this miniature thing intrigues me. I have a friend, a local friend who's a, a like just a phenomenal artist who paints really no much not much bigger than a uh, business card and she does really really well at it. Uh not to mention the fact that it's just it looks like little tiny miniature photographs. But she's uh, and it's there's actually uh guidelines for this type of work to become classified as miniature. It can't be bigger really? than uh is it is it four and a half or five square inches? I think is it can't be beyond that, and it will be classed as miniature. So I've been cool. to, and I I've seen John Shindahedi promoting that a bit too uh, recently. I think it was at the Aluxcon or. Uh, oh yeah, it, three, and he was getting people. Three, three yeah, series. yeah, I, yeah. The, I should have participated in that. I totally didn't. Yeah. I think I didn't because it was painting, and I don't paint. Well, you probably yeah. could have done ink. I don't think there would have been a problem there. I did one yeah. for that. Yeah, did you fun. do that? Yeah? Yeah, I did one. I sold it at the Spectrum, yeah. Yeah, right on. I, I, like, I like the miniature format, though, because, you know, my work is already quite, mostly quite small. I mean, it's usually, um, I mean, about the biggest I work is probably 13 by 20, maybe the largest. So not not terribly big. And um, that's huge to me. <laughs> thirty <laughs> by twenty inches. Thirteen, not thirty. Oh, I thought Six. you said thirty by twenty. <laughs> no, no, that would be pretty. No, thirteen by twenty is about the biggest, and I don't that's... usually draw that big. I mean, most most of my work is less than eight and a half by eleven. So, and it, and it's supposed it's designed to be quite intimate. It's designed to. You know, you can tell what it is from a distance, but you're, it's designed to get you to come and look closer at all the hidden stuff that's there. So yeah, miniature yeah. is perfect format for me. Yeah. No, I think there's some marketability there as well. I hope so. I've, I've been thinking of maybe trying to get... I mean, um, the miniatures that I'm doing at the moment, they're all for a book I'm working on, but... Um, 
I'm just trying to take advantage of a bad situation and actually do something with all the exercises I'm doing for my hand. So I'm going to put out a tiny book of little drawings, but um, I'm hoping I can also get them into a show. Great. Well, uh, any other uh, thoughts we want to uh, cover before we wrap up? Does anybody have anything uh, else uh, the, of import or things that you'd like to uh, uh, promote or uh, hawk in any way? I think I'm good, thank you. Okay. <laughs> well, if, any, if anybody's interested in commissioning me for personal commissions, they can certainly contact me at uh, elofgren at telus.net or at my what? Facebook account. Wait, is that actually Eric? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it wasn't Drew all this time. It was Eric. What? We fooled you. <laughs> no, I thought you were making fun of me. I hate you all. I hate every single one of you. Sorry, sorry, sir. Wait. So all this time I was talking about Eric, like I, like it was behind his back, and he was here the whole time. I did find that kind of odd the way you were talking I, about. I, I me thought me. you were. I thought <laughs> you were being silly. No, I thought. I thought. It, I actually thought that was Drew the whole time. <laughs> I am such a Wally. <laughs> You are a seriously oh. interesting person, Sokar. And this is why we keep you around, Sokar. <laughs> Just oh, my God. Sometimes I think I'm getting Alzheimer's disease, and I really hope I'm not. <laughs> I don't want to die that way. It's so horrible. <laughs> Do you want to promote anything, uh, like maybe uh, Alzheimer's uh, charities or something like that? Okay. Actually, I do donate monthly to Alzheimer's research through CanadaHelps.org. Very good. Are I also sure do? donate to a bunch <laughs> of other stuff. Bite me, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, I am sure because it automatically takes it from my credit card every month. So I can't forget. <laughs> well, uh, Patrick, or is anything, any, how's the, the Kickstarters coming? Are they... Well, there's a well. There is a rumor going around that I updated my website, megaflowgraphics.com. So go take a look. I used Squarespace, which was one of the questions that was asked this week. In fact, what do we think of different websites? Uh, but maybe we can, or things like that. Well, maybe we can get to that at some other point. But I can heartily recommend Squarespace, where I. Uh, I uh, very quickly and easily made a very nice new website that's really easy to maintain. So, uh, yeah, check that out. Uh, and uh, the, the fruits of my labor of uh, last year or early this year, uh, World War Kaiju, uh, it's, it's finally out. It's on Amazon. We're, uh, we're almost, we've almost gotten all the backers their copies now. Um, and it's uh, really uh, been a neat thing. We're getting a lot of uh, positive reviews, which has been really nice. Uh, well so done. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's really cool to see people you know I've never heard of. They don't know me from Adam. They don't have to be nice to me because they've never met me. And they just you have to pay them. Or... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they just have these cool reviews for my book. So. Awesome. <laughs> I should actually – something I just, I just, re, just remembered that I wouldn't mind uh, promoting for uh, my uh, friend and sort of 
partner in crime in this, uh, Steve Trustum from Misfit Game or Misfit Studio Games. We're uh, doing a second edition of the Better Mouse Trap book he put out put out a couple years ago. I finally got all the art assets provided to him, and he's just doing layout now, so that'll be out soon. You can find that at cool, misfitstudios.com. I I did. Uh, what would you say I, that one more time? Misfitstudios.com. Cool. Yeah, uh, and uh, he's on Facebook as well. You can find it. I think I did probably for the second edition. You'll see it, it, it's if it's not all of my artwork, it'll be like ninety-five percent. There might be some little inserts in there that he added. But yeah, I did most of the work uh, for it, so I'm pretty happy with that. I did the cover this time as well. So, and awesome. I, 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 I'm trying to give him a bit of a plug for that too. Uh, I kind of. <laughs> He's been waiting and waiting and waiting for almost like years now for all this artwork because there was quite a bit of it. But it's, uh, yeah, it should be in the can and out on the shelves soon once he can get the, the layout done. A Better Mousetrap, it's called. It's a source book for uh, um, mutants and masterminds. That's excellent. Yeah. Ah, that is great. All right. And oh, that was a Kickstarter? Uh, no, no, no. Oh. Uh, it'll be provided through. Uh, no, yeah, it's all on our backs, um, and then it'll be on the on the shelves through RPG Now, I would imagine. Great. Okay. Oh, and I also have. Oh, geez, I'm, it's been so long since I've been on the podcast. <laughs> I am offering uh, through Misfit Studios. Steve has taken it on for me to put up my stock art through RPG Now. He helped. He fulfills that for me. And that helps him out too. If you are looking for stock art, go check that out. There's a, he has a, a, a two or three other artists as well that he manages, but I'm more concerned about my own. So, <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> who, who wouldn't be? Uh, oh, and as long as we're talking about things we're, we're doing and have done, I finished the most recent Kickstarter I worked on, which was a comic book called The Nain Rouge. It's a, a adaptation of a young adult. Uh, kids novel uh, where I did I did everything I took took the original story and I uh, did the adaptation so I did all I did the script the drawing the inking the coloring the lettering and uh, it is complete and that's people should, gonna... people people should note that you did that impressively fast like seriously <laughs> I mean we were just we were just critiquing on our last episode some of your early pages for that that's true. I, I was insane. <laughs> Thank you for mentioning that, Sokar. I was I was drawing and inking two to three pages a day. Good Lord. Wow. <laughs> and then I did the coloring in about a week and a half for 80 pages. Good uh, I, I, I had a couple of great... Uh, Flatters, you know, coloring assistants who uh, right zipped through the work for me. So that that was very helpful for the coloring. Uh, and I I uh, flatter myself to think I did a darn good job, especially because it was a whole new style for me. Just doing this. Uh, well, we talked about it on the last episode that sort of uh, simple line ink drawing uh, style that uh, was not at all what I was used to, but I really had a good time doing it. So that is finished. It's uh, in the, It's been in the hands of the uh, 
graphic designer for a couple weeks now is uh, getting it all ready for print. And hopefully by the time we get together for our next show, that'll be uh, completed and off to the printers. Is that available through uh, Zero One Publishing? That one is not a Zero One product. Uh, it's uh, the writer of the book is in charge of the whole thing by himself, so he's going to be distributing it and doing all that work himself. So I'll have to let you know what uh, what avenues are available to find it. Um, I'm sure it'll be available on Amazon eventually. Life so. I beg pardon. I was I was going to say I feel like crap now because I, I'm adopting, adapting, not adopting. It feels like it sometimes, <laughs> but trying to adapt like uh, the shortest story by Lovecraft in the history of the world. It's like four paragraphs, and oh, I'm still yes. working on it. <laughs> hey, don't feel bad. You're you are faster than I am. Everybody's faster than I am. I mean, seriously, I got up this morning at 6 o'clock and immediately started to draw. And I finished a two and a half inch by two and a half inch drawing at 11. Yeah, but you're, you're lying. You put so many lines into that. It's worth about four full page drawings of anyone else. <laughs> yeah, but you know, you, you, you can't really, um, you can't really explain. Explain that to people. It's like you did what for all those hours? <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, if that's it for everybody. Um, oh my uh, God, we forgot. Weren't we going to talk about um, the new social media site today as well? Uh, let's leave yeah. that till next time because I might not be as angry about it by then. I have reservations. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I like I like the fact that it doesn't. Um, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I'm not, I'm, I don't think I'm not like, oh, woo, new Facebook or anything, but, you know, I like the fact that, you know, when you post on Facebook and you post your drawing and it's all blurry and it has JPEG artifacts and stuff, it recompresses it. Well, yeah. Allo doesn't have that. Yeah. So I like that. But That's it's also point. kind of confusing and doesn't have that many features yet. Plus it's still in beta. So all your friends aren't on it. It might yes. be a bit early to, to say too much about it. I have my account, yeah. but I literally haven't looked at it since then. So, and I'm yeah, early. let's let's wait till it's out of beta, maybe before we review it and tear into it. Friends like me refuse to to beg for an invitation to join up a site. You know, I oh, I, I totally I take one look at that and I say, screw that. Um, I shamelessly begged. I got an invitation <laughs> from somebody, and then and then when I went to use it. My computer crashed, and then when I went to do it again, it just kept loading and loading and loading and loading and loading and loading and loading, and it wouldn't work. So I went on Facebook, and I asked for another invitation. <laughs> because, I mean, I swear, I had been only passingly interested in it when I got the invitation, but the instant I couldn't have it, I wanted it more than anything. <laughs> wow. <There laughs> it was like human psychology 101. Human nature in a nutshell. Like how, how, to, how to make people especially so car want something so they can't have it. Yeah. Denied. Wow. That well, sums up everything it. from Romeo and Juliet to World War II. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> you could extrapolate all of human nature from just that. I think they My got only love sprung that. from my only indifference. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys. Uh, 
It's been a pleasure. This has been uh, because uh, Jeremy is off tending to his uh, offspring. Uh, this has been the Ninja Mountain podcast where we are, uh, as always, uh, Sokar Miles. At goreblimey.com. And Eric Lofgren. Sorry I was late, everybody. My name is Eric Lofgren, and you can find me at ericlofgren.net. And the redoubtable Ralph Horsley. At ralphhorsley.co.uk. And I am Patrick Christopher McAvoy at megaflowgraphics.com. And we also have Jeremy McHugh at McHughstudios.com. Oh, yeah, there was that guy as well. Oh, that guy. Yeah, and Jeremy. I feel that we should, we should also mention Drew Baker's website just because I thought he was here for about half the episode. And, <laughs> and that would be, I think, drewbaker.com. And Kieran Yanner, who was here earlier but seems yeah. to have dropped off. Uh, and, oh, yeah, uh, I forgot he was here. His, his thing is still up. His he, made some, he made some wonderful comments early on, but then we lost him. He's uh, sitting in his wonderful new coffee shop where he's yeah. got his workspace. I went to go visit that a few weeks ago, and huh? it is beautiful. It's, you went there? Yeah. You know, you were in our backyard, right? Sokar's in my backyard. I know. I could have gotten out some binoculars and seen you, probably. (laughs) You should have come. You should have come to, like, Vancouver, and and Eric could have come over from the island, and we could have, like, met halfway. Next time, for sure. Yeah, he's... uh, Oh, uh, uh, Kieran is, yeah, I'm sure he would want to promote his uh, atelier uh, coffee shop. Um, in uh, Seattle. Georgetown, I think, isn't it? I don't know. It's near the I think Air- Georgetown is part of Seattle. I think it's a, yeah. it's like a uh-huh. district. It's, it's is it? Seattle I don't know. near the airport, and it's Atelier Coffee Company. And it is really, really beautiful. And it's a place where you can go and get a great cup of coffee or a fantastic chai latte, which is what I got. And I'm still thinking about it because it was so good. And mm, I love chai lattes. Oh, and he'll have uh, art on display. And if you're an artist, you can go in and use the artist tables and use his reference material. He's got everything there from from skulls to weapons to suits of armor. And he's got a stage where he'll have uh, models. And it is a paradise. If you're anywhere near Seattle, you need to go check it out. It's, it's just sort of having a slow rollout opening. And I even got to see an original piece of So Carmyle's art because he had, had an art show there. Uh, and oh, is that the winter one? Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. I choose some birds for mm. that. Yes, so one of Sokar's pieces was there, was there. I got to drool over. So since Kieran is not with us uh, at this point, I must must tell everybody to, who's in the Seattle area or visiting Seattle to go see his Atelier Coffee Company. There you go. Wonderful place. Okay, oh, man, folks. I'd love to go see that. Uh, well, someday you shall. And... Uh, uh, thank you very much, and we will now cue the music. I still uh, run uh, raised in what is that? Born in the mountain in the summertime. I love that song. <laughs> we need to play that one again. We haven't done that for a long time. <laughs> we are Ninja Mountain. You know, somebody requested we talk more about ninjas on the show, and we didn't do that either. But. 
ninjas. I don't think any of us actually knew ninjas. anything about ninjas. We, we were talking about ninjas the whole time. You just couldn't hear it because it was so stealthy. Oh, yeah. The ninja talking about ninjas. Exactly. Does, does anybody here actually know anything about ninjas? Because I don't know a bloody thing about ninjas. They're, they're not they're... even real. Uh, as far as I know, that's just some sort of a myth or a legend. There's never, ever been anything in history that you would call a ninja. Huh. It was made up. Really? That's yeah, what I heard. Funny. I heard that they were just like lame samurai with no master. Well, that's a ronin. That's oh. Not. I, I okay. thought the ninjas were real, but they were just like uh, mercenary assassins or something. I no? thought they were practitioners. I'm just telling you something. what I've heard. It could be, but I heard a long time ago that there is. Well, of course, the ninjas would want you to think that exactly. because they don't want you to think they exist. That's what I, I thought they were just pra practitioners of this thing called ninjutsu or something that's like karate but different. Ninjism, I think you call it. Ninjism. Gross. Oh, you're gross. I hate what? you. You made me say that. I don't get it. What you are you Canadians? <laughs> 